Coming up, it's philosophy talk. Warren Buffett has a nice line. When he thinks about giving his money away to his children versus to other causes, he wants to give his kids enough that they can do something, but not so much that they can do nothing. If you can't take it with you, what should you do with it? You've got some money as an individual. The state has three choices before it about how it should treat you and your money. It can respect your liberty to do with it what you want. It can limit your liberty to do with it what you want. Or it can subsidize you to act on your liberty to give money away, give you a tax break. Should the government care how much we give and to whom we give? People give money away because people ask them to, because it's important for them to, because it's a virtue to do so. Our guest is Rob Reich from Stanford University. You want to give it away to a puppet theater, baldness research, uh, Oxfam International, whatever, that's, that's your business. The morality of giving and keeping. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Philosophy Talk is on the road again. We're recording the program in front of a live audience at the classic residence by Hyatt in Palo Alto, California. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today's program is made possible in part with support from the Stanford Humanities Center. We're very pleased to meet some of our listeners here at the Hyatt residence up close and personal. Folks, welcome to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today, the morality of giving and keeping. Giving and keeping what, Ken? Well, one's wealth, John. Americans are among the richest people in the world, and I think that with our good fortune comes a special obligation to give and to give generously to others. Well, I'm sure that's true for Bill Gates and probably for you too, but for a guy like me, I'm well off, but I got kids, I got grandkids. Don't I mainly have an obligation to provide for them? Well, maybe you do have some obligations to those near and dear, but you can't just thumb your nose at the rest of the world either. It's about striking a balance between competing goods. You owe something to those near and dear, but you also owe it to others to help where you can. Well, you're very good at figuring out what I owe. Actually, people give for a lot of reasons. They don't just give because they think they have a duty or they owe something. They care about causes and institutions. They don't just give out of a sense of duty. They, they want to make a statement, leave a legacy, promote causes that they really think are important. Well, you're right. People don't just give in ways that help the needy. Sometimes they give to already wealthy institutions that help already well-heeled people. But when they could be you know, uh, giving to alleviate human suffering. But here's the question. Is that really morally okay? Is that permissible? Yes. I mean, why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't people be free to give whatever they want to whomever they want for whatever reason they want as long as it doesn't scare the horses? Well, think about it at least from a public policy point of view. At the moment, the government is kind of doesn't discriminate between give, different ways of giving. It'll give you a tax benefit for giving to a wealthy institution like Stanford or to give you the same tax benefit for giving the same amount of money to a, an organization like Habitat for Humanity. But shouldn't the government uh, uh, discriminate between different kinds of institutions and different kinds of giving? Well, why should it? Why should the government care, stick its nose into the question of to whom I give my money? Well, because one thing about a government in a democratic society is one of its job is to try and ameliorate social inequ inequ inequalities. 
That's why, to help ameliorate social inequalities. Well, since that's the government's job, to help ameliorate social inequalities, it's really important that private individuals do things that are good for society but don't count as doing that, like giving to Stanford. Well, I mean, you, you, you got a point there. If people give to Stanford, that's fine, but maybe the government should you know, encourage them to give to these other causes that help promote social equality and maybe discourage them from giving to institutions that don't do that. Well, it's just, just kind of think out the consequences of that line of thinking. So the people in Palo Alto don't get a tax break for giving to the Palo Alto schools for athletic teams and bands, but they would if they gave to the Oakland, which admittedly needs it more. But the end result of that is they're not going to give to anybody, and we're not going to have bans on either side of the bay. Well, you know, there are a lot of issues here. I mean, that's what you raise an, an important point and one we should talk about. And joining us in a little bit will be Rob Reich, an expert on the morality of giving and keeping. I think he'll help us sort all this out. We'll start by asking Rob to discuss the idea of striking a moral balance between our obligations to those near and dear and our obligations to the broader human community. Then we'll take up issues about public policy. Should the government favor some kinds of giving over others, or should all such decisions be left to the free choice of individual citizens? Then we'll conclude on a practical note by asking how we can give more effectively. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, has spent some time with someone who has given quite a lot. She files this report. Bert McMurtry and his wife, Dee Dee, have donated tens of millions of dollars to philanthropic causes, including big gifts to Stanford and Rice universities. But McMurtry says they both grew up solidly in the middle class and never expected to have that kind of wealth. I had a good education and was able to get a good job, and so I had an income, and it was certainly uh, terrific to be able to do all the things that we could do with that, but we didn't really have any asset base. The McMurtrys attended Rice when tuition there was still free and then came to Silicon Valley 50 years ago. Bert went to graduate school at Stanford and later co-founded a venture capital firm. He says initially the main exit strategy was that he and his partner lost all their money. Really, it took about eight years before it began to build at all and then began to build very dramatically. So Bert and Dee Dee had some decisions to make what to do with their newfound wealth. We decided that who we were and who our children were and who we, how we wanted things to evolve was a more, it was more like the way we had grown up uh, than like the way we could live if we chose to live in a different way. The pair now live in a corner apartment here at Classic Residence by Hyatt, an upscale senior living community in Palo Alto. A lot of the artwork you see is by Familiar artists, some by not. You won't find the McMurtrys flying to appointments in private helicopters or living in an opulent mansion, but they have splurged on a few luxuries, including an extensive art collection. This is some of the earlier art that we were collecting when in the 70s. In particular, we were interested in abstract art, as were most people. Bert walks from the spacious, well-lit living wing into the carpeted bedroom wing, past a spare master suite that doubles as a wine cellar. As you can see, it's a huge place. One of the toughest questions for the McMurtrys was how much money to give to their children. They were torn between the impulse to provide for one's offspring and the desire not to spoil them. No one intends to ruin their future family by showering wealth upon them. Now, the amount that we've chosen to leave to them or give to them during our lifetimes and then leave to them 
is is quite large by any standards that we would have been used to uh, before. It's not large by standards that we're now used to, uh, and it is potentially enough money that it could be highly distracting to them and to their children and to their grandchildren. McMurtry says he hopes the younger generations will keep up the tradition of philanthropy that he and Dee, Dee have established. They give to causes including the arts, substance abuse programs, and microfinance in the developing world. If you ask what kinds of things really interest us greatly, uh, almost anything that enhances economic mobility for people who have nothing or very little, uh, to move uh, at whatever pace they can through the economic scenario and hopefully uh, some of them acquire great, great wealth and then figure out what to do with it. McMurtry says choosing which causes to support wasn't easy. The philanthropic possibilities are virtually infinite. Having an asset base appear in your life and grow produces a set of problems which are really non-trivial. Now, it's, you, it's just delightful to have these problems, but they're really quite interesting. Of course, most of us don't have to grapple with how to distribute our millions, but McMurtry says that shouldn't stop us from giving. We need to encourage people to try to find their passion in, in individuals and organizations that are doing things that are of high value to them personally, that they value personally, and that, that incidentally are also contributing very much to the society, and then get involved. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.